Well, good evening, everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome to Celebration Church this fine Wednesday evening. And for those of you in Appleton and Stevens Point, we are live, streaming live tonight. We're trying out some new technology, so we're hoping and praying that it's working and that you can see my face over there and hear my words. And I think it's working, but we'll hope for that. We'll hope for the best. I'm glad you all could make it. Pastor Mark is uh, in South Africa this evening, and so pray for him. We have a citizen of South Africa here who has defected. <laughs> so he's here, but Pastor Mark is there, ministering over there. So anyway, keep him in your prayers while he's gone. He'll be back soon. Well, tonight we're going to look uh, at another one of the Christian disciplines as we continue through this season of Lent. And to open this up, I'm going to read from the Luke, the ninth chapter, uh, verses uh, 43 through 48. Uh, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Well, we're finishing up this series of teachings on Christian disciplines tonight as we continue through the season of Lent. Pastor Mark has given us some great background on why we observe Lent, and he has coupled that together with teaching on the Christian disciplines of study, meaning the importance of becoming a student of God's Word, and then the discipline of praise and thanksgiving, or learning the importance of praising God in spite of our circumstances. We've also talked about the disciplines of fasting, Christian meditation and prayer, and tonight we conclude with the discipline of service. What does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Uh, as Pastor Mark has been saying, Lent is a time when we say no to our bodies and no to the appetites that can enslave us. It's a time of breaking free from self-indulgence and coming into the light of God's presence where we realize that He is really all we need. He is God the sustainer, God the provider, God the healer, God the comforter, God the savior. He came to us as a man, Jesus Christ, and showed by example what it means to deny oneself and to serve other people. We also discover that when we are totally caught up in the things of this world, it's very difficult to see God because we're distracted. I mean, for example, why discover the joy of walking through the woods when you already have a car that can get you through the woods at 70 miles an hour, provided you don't hit any trees, while you enjoy perfect climate control, okay, and iTunes on a great stereo inside your car and a smooth highway cut through the forest, okay? Now, if you want to enjoy the beauty and the smell and the breeze and the wildlife and the water in the woods, you got to do something about the car, and it has to be intentional. You have to get out of the car. 
You're not going to see any value in the woods unless you get out of the car. Of course, once you're there in the woods, you discover that a walk through the woods is really where you'd rather be, right? And why didn't I do this sooner? It's the same thing with knowing God. The only way we can experience God to the fullest is to intentionally take time out to be in his presence, which may mean forsaking comfort and earthly amusements to do so. For the contemporary American, the prospect of spending time with God, especially a God that we cannot see or feel, is very distasteful and very boring. So we shy away from it. No thanks, I don't want to do that. And that's too bad. But we can turn that around this year during this Lent season by checking out these disciplines they are not going to give you, by the way, God on a platter. You don't get it automatically. But they provide a way, the disciplines do, a means so that connecting with God for you becomes possible. And that's why we do all of these things. So let's look at the discipline of service tonight. Uh, the, we're going to do that by starting by going through the Luke, the ninth chapter. And the progression of events in the ninth chapter of Luke is really something. I mean, it starts with Jesus sending out his disciples with nothing but the clothing on their backs and his commission to them to go into the towns and the villages to preach the gospel. The purpose was clearly stated. Proclaim the kingdom of God, heal the sick. Very simple. And they did that. They were sent out as servants of God, and they returned with some amazing stories. In the next section, in chapter 9, uh, Jesus withdrew to a quiet place near the town of Bethsaida on the Sea of Galilee so that he could have some download time with his guys. But the crowds found out where they were, and they descended on Bethsaida, and there was no privacy and the needs in the crowd were incredible. And Jesus refused to turn the crowds away. And so this huddle that he wanted to have with his disciples had to be postponed for a while. And after praying for everybody, the disciples told Jesus to send the crowds away because there was no food for them anyway. And it was supper time and the sun was going down and there was no restaurants around and no, you know, no grocery stores. And Jesus said the most incredible thing to his men, you feed them. <laughs> you give them something to eat. And they're going, uh, well, I'll tell you what, that's going to be a problem because we don't have any food. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. That was it. And if we don't go buy food for all these people, there's not going to be any to go around which was another way of saying to Jesus, you're kidding, right? <laughs> and uh, so we know what happened next, of course. Jesus had the disciples divide that crowd into groups of 50, and they all sat down, and the two fish and the five loaves transformed into a meal for thousands. But the disciples still had to serve the people. Jesus did the miracle. The disciples still had to serve the people. Next, in verse 20, Jesus revealed to the disciples that he was the Messiah, but that they weren't supposed to tell anybody, especially since, in the next breath, he helped them understand that he was soon going to be killed. 
And how do you put that all together? Yes, you're the Messiah. And yes, you're about to be murdered. Very, very mixed message. Then the next sentence, verse 23 and 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. No response from the disciples after he said that. I would have not replied either. The conversation at that point was getting way too heavy, way too intense, way too abstract. I'm going to be killed. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross. I'm the Messiah. Don't tell anybody, though. And by the way, save your life, but then lose your life. Huh, that's quite a message. It was too much, and so nothing more was said. The disciples went quiet. Well, eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And he was transfigured in front of them. And God the Father spoke from heaven and he appeared. uh, And Moses and Elijah appeared at the same time on either side conversing with Jesus. And Jesus began to glow with a brightness that outmatched the glow of the sun. Just another typical day in the life of Jesus the Messiah. (laughs) There they were up on the mountain. Well, the disciples were afraid and confused because of what they were seeing. And the Father was speaking to them. And all of a sudden, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then the cloud disappeared, poof. And they were alone with Jesus, Elijah and Moses, gone. Everything gone. They said nothing to anyone after that. But they didn't forget it. And later, Peter referred to it in his second letter to the church. And he said, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16... We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves, Peter said, heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And next morning, after returning to civilization from being up on the mountaintop with God, Jesus and the disciples are down in the valley making their way through a crowd, encounter a man whose son is demon-possessed. Have mercy on my son, the father cried. I mean, really, what a change. Up on the mountain, transfigured before God, and then all of a sudden down in a valley, and you're meeting up with a demon. Jesus pulled it off, though, and a demon came out of that young man. What is extraordinary about this incident was that as soon as the demon came out of the boy, Jesus immediately turned to his disciples and said, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. Verse 44, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He did not turn to his disciples to instruct them on how to set somebody free from a demon. That's how it's done, boys. Just watch me. He didn't do that. He did not bask in the adulation of the crowd, and I'm sure that they were praising him big time for doing that miracle. He took no comfort or joy in that moment. He just turned to his own guys, and he said under his breath, I want you to look at me. Listen carefully. I'm about to be delivered 
into the hands of the men who are going to kill me. In verse 45 says, they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. We're talking about the discipline of service. Check it out. After an amazing display of power healing, Jesus says nothing about this amazing display. He simply warned them a second time in this one chapter that he was going to die. What he said was so disconnected from what they had just witnessed, it just didn't make any sense to them. Its meaning was hidden from them. They couldn't grasp it. And we discover it freaked them out to the point that they wouldn't even talk about it. They didn't even want to ask Jesus, well, what do you mean by this? They just, just silence. So what do you do when your teacher loses you in the conversation and begins talking like a crazy man? Huh? Well, the next logical step for these guys was to argue, not with the teacher, but he says this amazing thing and they can't respond. And so what do they do? They turn to each other and begin to argue about who should be the greatest among them. I don't know what they were thinking. It makes perfect sense, right? No. Your master has just warned you about crosses and death. He has demonstrated in a very practical way what it was to serve and feed the poor and you feel compelled to talk about which one in the group is going to end up being the big boss man. I don't get it. When Luke recorded in verse 45 that Jesus' meaning was hidden from them, he wasn't kidding. We pick up in a very obvious way that at this point, the 12 disciples were clueless. They just, didn't, they just had no idea what was going on. They went on from there toward Jerusalem, which was going to require that they pass through a Samaritan village, and they were going to have to stay in that village overnight. And the Samaritans, so Jesus sent a couple of his guys ahead and he, into the village and to look for a place to stay for the, for the 12 of the disciples plus himself. And, and, and the people in the village talk to these two representatives from the band of disciples and basically say, no dice, you're not staying here. Because Samaritans and Jews didn't have any mingling or mixture or anything in those days. It was, it was unheard of. Well, the disciples were indignant about this. And being the humble servants that they were, they inquired of Jesus, Lord, and the fact that they use this term, Lord, is hilarious to me. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy the village? <laughs> A little bit of an overreaction here. <laughs> Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? I mean, it's astonishing that they would have assumed this, as if they had any ability any authority, any power to do this. Fire from heaven? Elijah, the prophet, did this one time. The same Elijah who had just appeared to them back up on the mountain of transfiguration. So we imagine that, okay, maybe they pictured themselves as kind of a New Testament version of Elijah. We don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, Elijah did it. Why can't we? Let's call fire down on these people and burn the whole place up. After all, they wouldn't let us stay in their village tonight. I mean, it was breathtaking presumption on their parts. This was not what a servant of Jesus Christ would do. 
and then there's this, so that we can destroy them. <laughs> the servants of Jesus wanted to call down fire from the heavens to destroy a group of Samaritans who did not want to show them hospitality for the night. Arrogance, selfishness, demonstrated by these 12 disciples, it's just, just amazing to me. So you have the language of Jesus, which is mercy, serve, heal, feed, love, forgive, versus the language of the disciples. Lord, send them away. We can't feed them. <laughs> and then, Lord, which one of us gets to be the boss? And now, let's just destroy the whole village. Let's burn them alive. Models of godly servants, wouldn't you say? Verse 55 says that in response to their request for mass execution by fire, Jesus turned and rebuked him, them. And then they went on to another village, since it didn't look like this village was going to work out. And so chapter 9 of Luke is a study in contrasts. Jesus the Savior and servant and the disciples still full of themselves with very little clue as to what it was to be a servant of the Most High God. Please note, Jesus did not dismiss them in spite of this. He did not send them home. He did not give up on them because he knew that better times were coming. He was very patient with these men in spite of their arrogance. And there was this earlier in the conversation. An argument started out among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. Now, in the culture of Jesus' day, no one would want to be seen as the least in any kind of gathering. It just wasn't done in those days. You didn't humiliate anybody as being less than anyone else. Later, there was a similar scene that played out after the disciples arrived in Jerusalem with Jesus. John's Gospel tells us that it was the day before Jesus was crucified. They were gathered in a private room, and Jesus proceeded to take a water basin and towel and then wash the feet of his disciples. So there they were, the 12 men who had already followed Jesus for many years, or multiple years, sitting in this upper room, looking at one another's filthy feet. Who's going to make the first move? And Richard Foster wrote this, then Jesus took a towel and a basin and redefined greatness. There are different types and levels of self-denial. Some of them are extreme and some of them are barely noticeable. Because we enjoy being noticed, we always gravitate towards extremes, we humans. Uh, I'll say, you know, if I'm going to deny myself, I may as well make a big deal out of it. The discipline of service unfolds very differently from that. It is not extreme. And service is often very difficult to accomplish. It's very difficult. It's not easy to be a servant. Foster wrote this, If we forsake all, we even have the chance of a glorious martyrdom. But in service, we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. For example, don't you guys think that the world would be a much better place today 
if the butchers of ISIS would simply be content with serving their own people, quietly doing good for them through small acts of mercy in their hometowns, wouldn't the world be a better place? Who told them that they are doing what they're doing is in any way noble or constructive? Who told these men that through glorious martyrdom they could make this world a better place? Who came up with that? Why couldn't one of their Islamic teachers share with them the value of experiencing these many little deaths of being a servant and going beyond oneself? Why couldn't they learn that? These Islamic martyrs, they're not servants. Nor is the Christian who sees himself as God's gift to his community. Who feels compelled to some obnoxious activity that draws all attention to himself and away from Jesus Christ the Savior. It's the same thing. In the world, we often become obsessed with a pecking order. How can I achieve power or leverage over another person or group? Our need to be first or near the top is so ingrained in us that we begin feeding that need as soon as we begin to walk or talk when we're little babies. To live a life counter to this instinct takes a lot of courage, guys. It's not easy being a servant. It takes a lot of faith. And this is what disciples of Jesus are called to do. So let's have a reality check here. First, in order to understand the discipline of service, we have to realize that nobody has equal authority. Jesus did abolish the idea of a pecking order, but he did not abolish a hierarchy of authority and order in which kingdom living requires the function of having somebody be the leader. Always. That's just how the kingdom of God works. There's always going to be a leader somewhere. Jesus didn't care about status, but he did recognize that in every situation, somebody's got to be in charge, which also meant that somebody had to serve somebody else, right? If, if somebody's in charge, that means there's got to be some other people that serves the somebody who's in charge. The reality check is this. In one sense, we're all equal, and in another sense, we're not at all equal. God calls certain people to lead and other people to follow. <laughs> this is how it has to be in life, and this is how it is in the church as well. And like it or not, I will have to serve under the authority of somebody who I may or may not respect. Judging from this incident in Luke 9, the question about, Lord, who is the greatest? And they're fighting about it. This was a big thing for these disciples. Richard Foster wrote, whenever there is trouble over who is the greatest, <clears throat> there is trouble over who is the least. <laughs> it's very simple. Some of these disciples just didn't want to serve anybody. <laughs> they just didn't have any taste for it whatsoever. Which leads us to motive, because motive is everything when it comes to serving in God's kingdom. Now there is a righteous type of serving, and then there's a self-righteous self type of serving. So I want to look at the self-righteous kind. 
Because as it is with the discipline of submission, so it is with the discipline of service. There's only one way to pull this off. I have to become a servant by having the right heart attitude. It's all here in the heart. Motive is everything. If I want to be noticed in my serving, then I'm just going to end up serving myself. If I'm free to love and serve other people because I'm motivated by the love of God, well, then my service brings honor to him and it brings peace to me. The divine nod of approval, if that's good enough, that's when I begin to serve other people. In order to put serving in the right perspective, here's what service is not. That's what we would call self-righteous service. Self-righteous service comes through human effort. Self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. Self-righteous service is concerned about results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. Self-righteous service is temporary. It's not a lifestyle. Self-righteous service is insensitive. It demands the opportunity to help. And self-righteous service fractures community by putting others into its debt and thereby becoming manipulative. That's self-righteous service. That's the kind we don't want. But then we talk about the positive side, the, the positive, the righteous serving, which has to be coupled together with humility. Then we begin getting at the kind of servanthood that Jesus was talking about. Foster also wrote this, of all the classical spiritual disciplines, service is the most conducive to the growth of humility. The flesh whines against service, but it screams against hidden service. What is hidden service? Cleaning up a mess that you didn't make. Placing a tip in the car wash jar. Holding the door for an older person. Visiting a loved one at the nursing home, introducing yourself to a new visitor at church, praying over that list of prayer requests that gets put on the, the church website, writing a thank you card, or changing a dirty diaper. It is serving when no one is looking. That's what defines my character and reveals my heart. The truly humble heart is okay. It's just fine with hidden acts of kindness. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 6. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Serving also means that you will be mistreated and misunderstood. People always argue about this. Well, if I put myself out there to serve other people, some people might take advantage of me. Jesus said that not only could happen, it would happen. As long as the earth has turned on its axis, folks, self-centered, ignorant people have taken advantage of good-hearted people. You know that's true. It happens in every walk of life, Christian and non-Christian. The difference with the Christian is that even being walked on, he is still honoring his heavenly Father and following in the footsteps of Jesus. In other words, there is eternal purpose in serving. There is something beyond just your being known as a good person. There are nine different kinds of service outlined in the scriptures. First, the service of hiddenness. Hiddenness 
Foster says, is a rebuke to the flesh and it can deal a fatal blow to pride. Just doing good stuff without anybody seeing me. Jesus said, give in secret. But who wants to do that? We want people to know that we're serving. If I'm going to have to do something I hate, I may as well make a big splash with it. How many of you guys are impressed when you walk into the local YMCA and you see a person's name carved into a brick on the wall because they gave $50,000 toward that building? Does that impress you? <laughs> no. I'll answer for you. How about doing something in such a way that, that even your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, let alone getting it published in the local paper or carved in a brick? Huh? Then there's the service of small things or active helpfulness. Simple assistance in trifling matters. Husbands, I'm going to talk to you for a second. How does service in small things look at home? Pick up after yourself, guys. Change a light bulb. Clean the toilet bowl. Walk the dog. Compliment your wife. Thank her for what she does. Guys, you know that women are geared and wired this way to serve and love. They spend their whole life doing that. They take care of you. They take care of the kids. They take care of the house. They are wired like this. So serve your wives by appreciating that and then understanding how difficult it is for them to pull that off. The service of small things. Next, it's, there's the service of guarding the reputation of others. Can I keep a confidence? Can I bridle my tongue? Can I be a loyal friend? In other words, can I... <laughs> yeah, can I be a loyal friend? I, I don't want to be a Judas... We know that Judas, while he had the appearance of a Jesus follower, was really no such thing. He wasn't the real deal. And he took the first available opportunity to betray Jesus to his enemies. What kind of friend or family member are you? Can you serve those folks by refusing to broadcast their weaknesses or failures when they come to you for confession? What benefit do I receive from betraying someone's confidence? Does that make me feel better about myself? Is that all that that's about? What kind of service is that? Does a, a servant of Jesus delight in publicizing dirty laundry? I mean, have you ever heard Don Henley's song, Dirty Laundry? Listen to the words of that song. They're awesome. I make my living off the evening news. Just give me something, something I can use. People love it when you lose. They love dirty laundry. Kick them when they're up. Kick them when they're down. Kick them when they're up. Kick them all around. <laughs> that, that just goes right to the heart of it, doesn't it? Man, if that doesn't describe human beings, I don't know what describes us. Then there's the service of being served. And I don't mean a subpoena. Will I allow others to serve me? Do I receive their help graciously and with thanksgiving? Uh, sometimes my greatest humility is shown when I receive a blessing from somebody else. Can I do that graciously? You know, people, you probably have people in your life, they can't take anything from anybody. They won't receive a compliment. They won't receive a gift. They always have to be the giver. That's not, that's, that's pride in reverse, but it's still pride. 
Then there's the service of common courtesy. Now these are the rituals of relationship that are in every culture. Do I understand personal boundaries? Do I wait for an invitation into another person's life? Do I honor another person's belongings and defer to his space and time when he's preoccupied? Can I wait my place in line? Do I drive with courtesy? Can I talk about my pet peeve now? Ask yourself this question. Do I get out of the left lane in a 55 mile per hour zone and move over to the right lane when I'm only doing 50? I heard a lot of amens on that. There's nothing that makes me lose my salvation quicker. That said, we go on to the sixth kind of servanthood, which is the service of hospitality. Do I open my home and my time? Hospitality. Do I, will I accommodate other people in my home? Do I welcome people into my world? This can be hospitality with your time, with your money, with your home. I mean, are you okay with somebody stopping by your place even when your place is not in perfect order? Maybe the dishes haven't been washed or the carpets haven't been vacuumed and all of a sudden, ringy-dingy-dingy, somebody calls, I need to talk to you, I'm having a bad day. And you're thinking, oh, what are they going to think about the dishes in the sink? They don't care about the dishes in your sink. They just need to sit and talk with you. Will you be hospitable in those moments? Believe me, they need to talk much worse than your dishes need to be cleaned. And this spirit of hospitality that trickles down to the church. How willing are you to welcome a new face at Celebration Church? Are you determined to keep that stranger a stranger? Even though you worship the same God under the same roof every Sunday? Why would I not want to learn that person's name? Why? Think of this. Jesus once prayed a prayer for you and me. It goes something like this, that they may be one as we are one, Heavenly Father. And he repeated that phrase three times in his prayer to the Father in John chapter 17. In other words, it was important. Please make them one. Did you know that Christian unity begins by your being hospitable, welcoming to people that you don't know. Hospitality is not excused just because I'm shy. My obligation before Jesus Christ, if I am a believer, is to love other people as Christ loves them, and that, at minimum, requires the first step of hospitality, and that is making sure someone else feels welcomed into our fellowship. Anything less than that is selfishness, it is disobedience, there are no excuses for that. We've got to understand that hospitality begins at that front door of our church. Search out people you don't know and learn their names. That is not hard. I don't care how wounded you are from your past. You can do this. Next, there's the servant of listening. 
Am I more anxious to give an answer in a conversation than I am to hear somebody out? What does my body language tell the person to whom I'm speaking? Are my eyes wandering? Is my posture speaking boredom or restlessness? Husbands, have you learned the discipline of hearing your wife out when she needs to tell you about her day? Get ready. It's going to take a while. Get used to it. She needs lots of words to describe how her day went. But it's important to her that you listen, guys. You don't have to say anything. Just listen. Nod your head. Look her in the eye. Try to understand. You might not understand, but try. When we listen to our wives, guys, we serve them. We show our wives that they matter. It is the service of listening. And then there's the service of bearing each other's burdens. Foster says, we can learn to uphold the burdens of others without being destroyed by those burdens. Can I empathize with someone who's in sorrow? God's word talks about this in Galatians chapter 6. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And finally there is the service of sharing the word of life with someone else. Telling the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in my life can be very intimidating. I know, but it is necessary. We are called by God as loving witnesses, as living witnesses, and to share the love of God with someone is to serve them. It is sometimes very humbling to do this. It, is, it can be very awkward, sometimes even scary, because we just don't know how that person's going to react. Nevertheless, God will set up opportunities for each one of us to share our faith with friends and family and acquaintances. We serve them best by taking advantage of those opportunities with the hope that they will hear what we are saying and then open their hearts to God. You don't know what the result's going to be, but maybe there will be a good result. And so we step out in faith. So we've been talking about the discipline of service tonight. It is a discipline. It's not easy. Because it is something that our selfish nature typically does not want to do. So we got to make it do this. <laughs> like Pastor Mark was saying. Serving others because Jesus Christ modeled servanthood. Patient, merciful, forgiving, initiating relationships, going the extra mile, dying to himself. Let's remember that during this time of Lent, the inner disciplines that we've talked about already, those of prayer and fasting and meditation and worship, those are necessary, but the outward disciplines, like the ones we're talking about tonight, are just as important. How will I serve my generation? How will I serve my family? How do I make my life count? Serving God and serving others will be the, the way that your name is etched onto the positive side of history. That's how we do that. You do that, and then you will see the blessings come in this life and in the next. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for this night together. Thank you for your wonderful word, Lord. It teaches us so much. Lord, so often in the, in the Word we learn what not to do. That's good. Thank you for showing us that. And Lord, help us to achieve the positive side of servanthood.
by being proactive in our lives and serving other people in all these different ways that we've talked about. Lord, help us not to be selfish people. It's, it's hard, Lord. We are selfish by nature. Help us, Lord, to be willing to step outside of ourselves and go the extra mile with others. Those that we know and love and those who are strangers to us, help us to do that. And Lord, uh, especially during this time of Lent, help us to remember that you are the ultimate example of servanthood. Who, you who came to us when you didn't have to. You who came to us and loved us and forgave us and died a horrible death so that we might have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Thank you for that, great servant of God, Jesus. Thank you for that. We love you tonight. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you for joining us, everybody, over in Appleton, Stevens Point. See you soon.